We all crave connection. At our core, we all want to feel loved and understood. Hi, I'm Nikhami, entrepreneur, founder, and CEO of my very own beauty brand, Carmela Cosmetics, and business consultant. This is We Are Women, Beauty Redefined, a podcast where women speak their truth and celebrate their victories. This podcast features different women whose names you probably recognize. You've seen them, been following them, and might even think that they've always had it together. Listen in to hear the women you know and love share their journeys with self-acceptance and self-love, discovering their unique beauty and confidence in a society that for so long has focused on exemplifying a specific beauty standard. It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of red and get comfortable. Every night is ladies' night on We Are Women, Beauty Redefined. I am so excited for today's episode featuring Aliza Shapiro, LCSW, who is the founder and therapist of Therapy in the City, based in New York City. During this conversation, Aliza shares how her sensitivity as a child contributed to her work as a therapist today and talks about what motivated her to become a therapist. But before that, she shares why she swore she would never become a therapist in high school. Aliza shares her own mental health journey, why she often talks about anxiety in her page, and how she deals with anxiety in her personal life. She talks about letting go of control in our lives and shares her take on manifestation. As someone whose mom is a therapist, and I have very close friends who are therapists, I'm always curious to hear from other therapists how they differentiate between helping their friends with their problems versus helping clients, like how, how they navigate that. So Alicia talks about the difference between helping her own friends with their problems and then her helping her clients. She also shares how she establishes trust with her clients and how trust is really essential to living a more meaningful life. She talks about navigating anxiety in our everyday lives and relationships, the difference between daily anxiety and clinical anxiety, and the benefits of accepting what you're struggling with. I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. Listen in and be inspired. It's actually interesting. I feel like parts of me are very similar to how I am right now. My family always tells me that I would always like be like up in my upstairs, like in my room, like on my windowsill, like reading for hours and hours. There were like all these pictures of me like playing dress up and wearing my mom's like heels and wearing sun hats to school every day, et cetera. Um, and then I think I was just like, my mom always describes me as just like, I was just kind of like happy go lucky, like I did my thing, but I was also very sensitive. And I would like, I think I had like a lot of emotions as a kid, which tracks, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because I feel like therapists in general tend to be the ones who are more sensitive. And when I say sensitive, I don't only mean like sensitive that you'll start crying when someone says something. I just mean sensitive energetically to other people. So funny you say that, that that I have like this memory of me when I was really little of my mom saying to me like, Elise, you're so sensitive before I even knew what that word meant. Like that's how young I was. And I was like, mom, no, I'm not. She's like, no, it's a good thing. So I, remember, I was something about my friend who was crying and I'm like, she must feel so bad right now. Something like that. Um, but yeah, I remember like learning that sensitive is not always a bad thing. It's like an energy that you can pick up on other people's feelings. Yeah. Yeah. So is that part of what motivated you to become a therapist? I'm sure it had a lot to do with it. Like I said, I was 
always very emotional. And I think in my like teenage years as well, I had a lot of emotions. I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know how to navigate them um, very skillfully. And actually in high school, I like swore I would never be a therapist because I thought they were all weird. And <laughs> my sister was becoming a psychologist and I was like, your kids are screwed. Like, I'm so sorry. I'll be the one to watch over them and make sure they stay normal. Like we always used to joke about that. Um, so I'm sure unconsciously that was like a huge part of it, but I, I like really fought it for a long time. I was like, there's no way I'd ever become a therapist until like much later on in my life. It's so funny. So, so what motivated you to become a therapist? So I went to Israel for two years after high school. I did, I went to seminary and I did college at the same time when I was there. And that's when I first, I feel like really started learning about emotions. I learned a little bit about them through the lens of like Judaism and, you know, through learning Torah and also just like learning about them. Cause like, as you grow up in life and you start being a mature adult and you live on your own and you're doing your own thing, you just, you learn about life. And then I was like, wow, there's so much more here that I didn't know. And I would learn about it from the Torah perspective. I remember I started learning about it from like a neuropsych perspective and all these things just like hit me like a ton of bricks. And I felt like life started making sense. And then I was like, if I could spend the rest of my life doing this, what a world that would be. Um, And it just felt like things clicked. And like, I was kind of in that state of like, everything is clicking when I was learning about psychology. Um, But I really didn't know for a long time, like what I was going to do. It was really towards the end of my undergrad. I was deciding between such different fields, medical field, this, or something in like design. I had like everything on my brain that I could do, but then I, I, I like couldn't deny it at a certain point. Every time I was learning about psychology from no matter what lens, I just felt very understood. So that's, I think that's what drove me. Right. And then also probably, as you said before, like your sensitivity, your innate sensitivity and being more emotional in a positive way, you know? Yeah. I'm sure contributed to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always felt, I felt like that's where my strengths lied. And whenever I was learning about it, it, like something about me was just like very lit up and I'm like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Sure. Did you ever struggle with mental health challenges yourself? So first of all, I think most of us do. I would say I definitely struggled, but I didn't know it. Like, I think in high school, I really struggled, but I didn't know what was happening. I think when I was in high school, it was still more taboo. There was still more stigma around it. I remember at one point, my parents were like, okay, Lisa, it's time for you to therapy. And I was like, but I'm not crazy. Like, I looked at them like they were crazy. I'm like, I don't know what you mean. Like, I don't have to go to therapy because I'm not nuts. They're like, that's not what therapy is for. And I'm like, yes, it is for crazy people. Um, (laughs) And like, I hated therapy. I hated it so much. It's like so comical now. Um, but I definitely like, I, I for sure had things and I for sure had like my own anxiety. I I used to get like stomach aches a lot and I didn't know what they were from. My mom brought me to like every kind of doctor, couldn't figure it out. Um, so I definitely had my fair share of things, but again, I, I didn't really know it at the time, which I think made it a lot harder. Right. It's so interesting. I was just speaking with someone today about the idea of putting a name to something or understanding like what you're going through. Yeah. It makes a world of a difference. Yeah. For sure. Especially as a, like when you're young. Or yeah. Not necessarily when you're young at any stage in life. 
whether you're an adult or if you're a kid or if you're in high school or if you're dealing with something like postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or OCD, putting a name to it. It just makes you feel a little bit more understood. And if there's a name to something, then maybe you can also work through it, you know, sure. instead of being this huge cloud over you, that's just controlling you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I follow you on Instagram and I see that you post a lot of tips really for anxiety, right? And and I should, it's more than tips. I mean, you talk about it a lot, right? Yeah. So do you feel like that's something that you're compelled to talk about because you struggled with it or just because for some other reason? Yeah, no, that's a really good question too. I think a lot of therapists on Instagram <laughs> struggle with this. It's almost like a persona. Like I have it all together because this is my education and this is what I do all day long. And I'm in trainings with this all day long, which is true. We're skilled in these areas because we've learned about them and we keep learning about them and we keep talking about them day in and day out. So like a mechanic is really good at dealing with cars because they're taught, you know, they're in that immersed in it day in and day out. And a doctor is really good in the medical field because that's what they do for hours and hours and hours of their lives. So on that end, I think we show up as like experts in the field, but it doesn't mean that we're immune from our own stuff. And I think part of it is like, yeah, this is the theory. These are the skills. This is the response. But I think a huge amount of it is for sure fueled from how I deal with my own anxiety in my own life. Because it's very much a thing at times. Right. Yeah. And, and I love that you talk about this and you, it's, it's, not only it's obvious, but like you kind of hint to the fact that it's something that you've struggled with, which is so beautiful because you're not trying to be that perfect persona and that perfect therapist who doesn't struggle. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I do also think that if people had any clue of the extent of the anxiety that I have faced in my own life, they would be shocked. <clears throat> like not like really not believe it because I don't live my life based off of my anxiety. There are times where it does like get the better of me, but I really, really work at it. And because I work at it, I am very blessed with a beautiful life. Um, but yeah, it's a very big struggle and it's something that I very much actively like work against. And I don't define myself anymore as somebody that's like controlled by anxiety the way I used to be. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's also important to, to, you know, for people listening to understand that you can always get help no matter what you're going through. Yeah. You're a perfect example of that. And you, not only are you a great example of that, but you also are an example of someone who uses it to help others as a, in your professional life. So that's really cool. Yeah. Thank God. And it's honestly very, like, it's very, it's a very empowering feeling. And of course, life is always like a growing process and we're all growing in whatever it is that we're, that, that we're dealing with at any given point in life. But it's very empowering to be like, this is something I've struggled with. And I have seen myself through to the other side and I have a method to the madness, right? And I have a way of getting myself over the anxiety hump when it really does hit me and it doesn't have to stop my life. And if I understand anxiety the right way, I learn how to recognize as like as a radar for where I can grow instead of a radar for where my life needs to stop. And then I can go ahead. And when somebody comes to me with their own anxiety, I'm like, I like, I feel you, you know, like I really feel the struggle that you're in 
And I think with that empathy, I can really help people get to the other side of it in their own lives too, which is amazing. For sure. A few minutes ago, you mentioned about therapists who post on Instagram yeah, um, about like this, like persona of perfection. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that more. And also for people to hear and understand that it's really not the case from another therapist, you know? Yeah. First of all, it's never the case. Nobody's life is perfect. Nobody's life is perfect. And we hear that all day long about Instagram and, but we really forget because it's really easy to fall into the trap of this person looks like they have a perfect life. So they probably do. And you see maybe 10% of a person's life top, maybe even like 1% of a person's life. So imagine like the 99% or the 90% underneath that's unknown. Like there's going to be a huge sprinkle of struggle and challenge in there. And if you think about your own life and your own friends and your own sisters and your own mom, like have they gone through struggles? Yes. Then the people on Instagram also, they're, they're the same. So that's just like an across the board. And I think especially for therapists, it's it's a tough it's a tough line because we want to very much be professional and we want to be the voice of of hope and of skillfulness. And this is how life can look when you use your emotions the right way or in effective and skillful ways, I should say. So we don't want to like get on Instagram and be like, I am mucho depressed today, or anxiety got the better of me, help, SOS. And I've <laughs> actually seen therapists like that and I'm like, Oh no, like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like it makes me uncomfortable, but at the same time, it can't just be my life is perfect and rosy and I'm always skillful all the time and emotions are easy for me now. Cause I don't think it's ever really like that in life, but yeah, I think it's a very, I think it's a very fine line and I personally struggle with it a lot and I would love, I would love to figure out like a way to even be more vulnerable on Instagram in a way that's still very professional and boundary. I'm still figuring that part out. Yeah. I I think we all are. Yeah. It's just (laughs) because you know what? I think that it changes because the middle ground is always changing, right? Because people get more and more intense and more unboundaried and then other people get so boundaried. So it's a constant work in progress to figure out. Totally. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I'm, I think that like living authentically is very important, especially for therapists. So I, I'm still like, I feel like there's still more that I could share, like from a vulnerable place. Yeah. Right. So how do you deal with the days that you feel anxious because you still have to go to work, right. And help other people with their anxiety. So how, how does that work for you? First of all, my job is my godsend. I, I think that, I mean, you seem like you love what you do. Yeah. You love what you do. Okay. So like going to work for you probably doesn't feel like this like burden. If anything, it probably feels, I mean, some days might maybe, but it probably feels like not even like an escape, just like something that you're passionate about, that you're committed to, that you're like, I'm excited to do this thing. So for me, that's how work feels. Like I'm excited to go be a therapist, even when my own stuff is happening. We talk about this with the other therapists in my practice a lot too. Also, as a therapist, you have to be very immersed in somebody else's story. And if you're not, they know it and you're not like giving them the best care. So it's almost permission slip to like turn my own life off because I have to be now in somebody else's story. 
So that's been a huge godsend too. Um, but in terms of like how I deal with my own anxiety in general in life, my biggest, my, like my biggest party line has always been when you can't be beat fear, do it scared. And it's not like if you can't beat fear, like there will be times where you cannot beat fear. It is an emotion. We all have it. It will decide when it comes and it will decide when it goes. That is not up to you. But you decide who you want to be within it and how you want to act within it. So if there's anxiety that's stopping you from doing this thing, you can let it stop you, but you have to make that conscious choice. Like I'm going to let anxiety stop me from this. Or you can say, I'm going to do it anyway, even though fear is part of this equation. I have that conversation with myself all the time. And I'm like, okay, fear is obviously here. Is this one of those times that fear needs to win? Because sometimes it needs to win and that's fine. I, I can surrender. Or is this one of those times where I'm like, no, I fear you're allowed to be here. Come hang out, sit next to me. But I'm the one in the driver's seat and my values are in the driver's seat. And maybe I don't know if I'm making the right decision because you're making me second guess myself. But net net, I feel like I am. So I'm going to do this and I'm going to have laser focus and any of my emotions that need to come alongside me can come alongside me. And that's kind of like how I deal with it when like really strong waves of it hit me, hits me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because I, I feel like we, from an outside perspective, right? We look at other people and yeah. we don't know their internal struggles. Like we, we don't know how you're feeling on that day that you come on Instagram, let's say, and you're smiling right. and you're articulating whatever. So if we could understand that other people are working against their nature for that day or their feelings, then we can also do that, you know? Totally. Yeah. 100%. It's funny because it's true. Like when, when we see someone performing, right? Like even, even like literally like take a celebrity, right? Like JLo, maybe she was, you don't know how she felt before she got on that stage and did a killer performance. Right. You have no idea. So it's like the same thing with us. You look at people, you're like, like this other person I was speaking to today and she's, she has to like write, you know, article after article. And she was saying how some days she just works against her nature. Like she, she puts it out because she has a deadline and she has commitments and yes, yeah, she's really, she feels very depressed. She struggles with, with depression, but at the end of the day, it's something that you have to do, you know? Right. Right. And I, that's, I mean, that's like a huge part of my life all the time. I'm not an extrovert. And people like who see me out are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm literally the most, one of the most introverted people. If I could be like dead serious, like so honest, me in my apartment reading a book, that is literally all I need. To go back to that like childhood example, like that's literally all I need. But, you know, you do it and you act opposite because it's something that, if it's something that you care about enough, like you just do it. And even starting my own practice, like, that was a huge decision. There was a lot of uncertainty there. I don't like uncertainty, right? There was a lot of like not having control, not seeing the end of the story, not knowing where this is going to go. None of us like those feelings. And especially if we're more type A, we really don't like those feelings. They feel like dangerous signals to us. And I'm like, okay, there's a lot of uncertainty. I have zero control. There's a lot of unknown and I'm doing it anyway. I'm scared out of my mind. Okay, here we go. And that's it, you know? And then people just see it like on the other side, like, okay, cool. Like she has a practice. It's so great. And I'm like, yeah, thank God. But like, I really didn't know how this would turn out. Um, and I feel like that's just like one specific story of so much, so many of the things that like happen in life for a lot of us all the time. 
hundred percent. Yeah. Just like self-talk and articulating what's going on. Like you said, you know, like, yeah, I'm scared, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. That's huge. And really knowing like what your systems are. Like I I've, I've learned kind of how my anxiety works. It surprises me. And sometimes it like puts on new clothes and, and I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't see that version of you in a while. And that's fine. But once we know our systems and like when anxiety creeps up, what it's trying to protect us from and that it's going to be a wave and it's going to rise and then it's going to fall, but you can still make the decision that you want to make from a values place, then, okay, then you're in the game. You know, it's not like a given that anxiety is going to win. And if anything, you're, you're probably going to win most of the battles. Yes, totally. Love it. So you started your own private practice and I know you have some other clinicians um, yeah. with working with you, which is so yeah. cool. So you have a whole group of, for support. Are there any specific clients, client types that you prefer working with? So I love working with, with people with anxiety and related disorders, like in, like across the board in terms of anxiety, OCD, social anxiety. I I'm in the, I'm in the language all the time. So helping people face uncertainty, understand their triggers, you know, learning how to live with freedom instead of worry all the time. Like that gives me so much life because I really feel like I can help people get to the other side and they, people never realize that it's possible to live another way. I can't tell you how many people are like, I didn't realize I could live without worry. I didn't realize I could live not identifying as an anxious person. And I'm like, yes, there's so, it's like a breath of fresh air. And it's so amazing to be part of people's healing in that way. So I do end up working with a lot of people with anxiety. Um, and anxiety spills out into like a lot of things like work, a lot of relationship anxiety, a lot of anxiety about dating. Am I going to find the one? Or while I'm dating, is he the right one? Or is she the right one? So there's a lot of anxiety that comes up in so many areas of life. So I would say that's what I end up working with the most. Yeah. That makes sense. I guess that's why your Instagram feels very anxiety related. Yeah. Wait, that does not sound great. You know what I mean? <laughs> Helping people with anxiety. Yes. Yes, or, yes. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting how we're able to, this is also another great, to, great example of like taking something that you turning pain into power mm. or into mm -hmm. purpose, right? Is that what they say? Into purpose. Yeah. Into purpose. Both, both work. Okay. Both <laughs> yeah. So it's just really cool to see that. Um, do your, so do your fellow clinicians, do they, so do they work for you? Like, is, is it you? Cause you said that you went into, you started your own practice. Yeah. They work for me. Mm -hmm. So that's really, I, it's amazing. Yeah. I train them and they work in within the practice, like for me. Um, and it's, it's so amazing. It's my favorite part of the job by far. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. Cause when you post on Instagram, like the pictures of you guys together, <laughs> it's me so much life. It's so amazing. And it's a very special crew of people. We're also like very dedicated to the field and very dedicated to their own clinical growth. Like it's pretty amazing. Wow. So what was the process like of building up? I, and I don't mean on like a practical level, I'm saying like on an emotional level, like what was the growth that, that, that encompassed to, you know, in regards to building up your own private practice? Yeah. It's a good question. I think it was a lot of, it was a lot of facing fears a million times over throughout like from from the start from quitting the job that I was working at um 
to hiring the first person to work with me. So like getting my own office space, taking on new clients, like starting the Instagram page, there was a lot of facing fears along the entire process. I remember I called my sister at one point and I'm like, huh? I don't know what I was thinking. Like, I am not qualified. This is crazy. Somebody stopped me. And she's like, what's, why are you saying that to yourself, Lisa? Like, you're very qualified and you're going to be great. And this is exactly what you do. And you're the perfect person for this role. And I'm like, okay. Like she needed to like talk me off a ledge in that moment. But it was a lot of, and I'm not usually somebody that gets like imposter syndrome E or that doesn't really freak me out. Cause I'm like, okay, fine. You could like any emotion, you could be here if you want. I'm going to listen to you. But I, I definitely feel like I had a little bit of that in the beginning that I just had to like say, okay, who cares? Like, I'm going to take this risk and I'm going to see where it goes and I'm going to try my best and that's it. And that was like kind of my MO. I'm still in the first year, which is crazy. Oh, wow. That's I'm crazy. still in the first year of doing this full time. I started last May. So it's, it's like a lot of that, like, okay, we're going to do our best and we're just going to try and we'll see, we'll see where things land, which also becomes like a very expansive mindset. Cause when you're just like, I don't know where this is going to go and we'll see you, you remove like unconscious limitations, 100%. which is the best thing in the world. Cause instead of trying to say, this is exactly how it's going to work out. This is exactly where I know it's going to go, where you're putting these limits on yourself. You're like, I don't know the end of the story. And then the world becomes your oyster and there doesn't have to be any limits at all. But <laughs> that's the part that feels like you're kind of jumping off a cliff and like hoping the wings sprout and you end up flying. But I would say that's like, that's been a huge, just like kind of like undercurrent of this whole entire process. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's such a, it's, it's so, that it really applies to a lot of things, by the way, in life, everything in life, everything. Yeah. Even with this podcast, you know, I remember in the beginning, I would write out all the questions. Yeah. I've never said this publicly, but I used to write out like the questions, how I thought the conversation would go. Yeah. And then all the questions. Then yeah. one time I, I I had a situation, I had a guest and I don't know why, but I was so unprepared. So I just like winged it. And yeah. it's the best interview I had ever. Yeah. I, like we, we just got deep, we got real. And it was like more, more so than I had planned, than I, I thought we would. And yeah. then since then, I mean, I obviously have an idea of what we're going to talk about and a few questions prepared, but most of the questions that I've been asking you and, and most of the questions that I ask everybody, it just flows. It just comes, you know? It's so crazy. As human beings, we seek so much control. Yeah. So much certainty. Like it's all we want. It's like the drive. We're just like, yes, I just need to know that it's going to work out. And it's like, if we let go of that, first of all, we get to like breathe more easily. Throughout the <laughs> but also, I mean, your podcast has turned into something incredible. And I wonder what it would have been like if you stayed so close to script the whole time. Versus just like letting things unfold the way that they're going to unfold. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. And it's like that with every, as you were talking, it's so funny. Cause like, you know, you, you know, ideas, like, of course I'm aware of these things, but when you're articulating it so beautifully, I'm like, oh my gosh, totally. Just like let you really could prevent things through your subconscious mind because you have create your, your own limitations because you're so OCD about everything. I shouldn't use a clinical term because you're so, you know, but yeah, you know, so I just, it's very important to recognize totally. that. 
when we have rigidity and when we're seeking so much certainty and we need to like write down exactly how the story is going to end, we end up limiting ourselves a lot. Yeah. That's something that I've been working on also. It's interesting. Just in life. Like it's not, I remember think, where I am now versus where I was like five years ago. Mm-hmm. I think also when you're in business, when you go into business, you realize that you can't. <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> the world is going to do what it's going to do. And like, you're just along for the ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the lessons that I've learned, like the idea of flow and just like, okay, this is what's going to happen, but like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out you know? Exactly. And that's it. That's the flip side of it, right? Like when we're, when we're done being rigid and when we're done trying to control and when we're done trying to problem solve every single thing, you're just it's like, oh my gosh, this world is enormous. And there's so many things that I can be a part of. And there's so many ways this can work out beyond what I would have ever envisioned. And that becomes like the most extraordinary thing. Yes, for sure. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to see. Yeah. Uh, which by the way, I, I'm curious to hear what you think about this because being expansive means that we're not limiting ourselves, right? But there's this whole trend now about manifesting, manifestation, and mm-hmm. it comes from a lot of coaches more so than therapists. Yeah. Um, but like, what's your opinion about, you know, they say to write it out in detail. Okay. Like what exactly is going to happen in your life? Like what's your opinion about that? My take? What's my hot take on manifesting? Yeah. So I would say it like this. Well, this isn't like a fully formed thought, but I'm just going to say it and we'll see where it lands. Sure. As a therapist, I don't believe in manifesting. I don't believe that we have the willpower to just like make anything happen without actually moving our habits and working through our subconscious to get ourselves there. So if you're asking me as a therapist, what I think about manifesting, I say, create a goal, have a vision of what you want your life to look like. And then work your behind off to make that vision happen, right? And so that's manifesting. If you have this image in your head, like this is what I would love to achieve and this is what I need to do to get there. And then you do all the work. Great, that's called growing and that's called living and that's called like creating a life instead of just waiting around for it to happen. And I think that manifesting can sometimes be hard because if you're just like sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting without actually doing, you're shooting yourself in the foot. And the other thing is this, sometimes the world has limitations that you can't see and you can end up becoming very depressed if life doesn't look exactly how you would want to manifest it. So that's that. But I do a lot of, on a personal note, I do a lot of meditation and I started doing a lot of like hispotidus on my own, courtesy of my fiance who told me that I have to do it for 40 days because it's like girl, there's some, there's some things here that you just need to talk out with Hashem. So I had to start doing, I started doing that and it's been incredible. And what I've learned from that experience is that when I actually talk out in great detail, what it is that I feel like I need, it gives me the boost and the clarity to either do it or to look out for it. And therefore, if I see something that feels like, oh wait, that's the thing that I was just talking about this morning. I have to go chase that. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. The talking it out part kind of gave me like a laser focus on what it is that I needed to do or if something came came across my path. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I was looking for. Um, So that's kind of how I view it. I don't know if either of those things are manifesting, but I don't like those pop psychology words because I think they end up leaving people a little depressed. Yeah. Um, but, But that's kind of how I implement like similar things in my life. Right. I mean, 
that's what I, I always believe manifesting really was, really is. I mean, you're picturing what you want, you're saying what it is, and then you go and do take that inspired action. It's not just yeah. sitting there meditating. That that's the first step, maybe, you know, but after that, yeah. So about like writing things in great detail, that part I I, I just don't really align with that. Or if you're writing it in, if you're writing it in great detail, maybe it's just so that you have it so solid in your mind of exactly what it is you need to do. So you don't miss a beat, but like right. emphasis on the action part, not just if I write it down, it's going to magically happen in two months. Yeah. 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 Totally. Okay, cool. I like that. Okay. Now I want to ask you, so how do you, first of all, how do you take care of your own, like unloading? Do you have your own therapist? Do you talk to your friends? Like, how does that, how does that work? I have my own therapist. He's very wonderful. Um, sometimes I need to see him twice a week because there's a lot that I need to unload. And sometimes I don't need to see him at all for like a couple weeks, months. And like, that's great too. But I always know I can call on him and he's a very straight shooter. And he really helps me just like get clarity on certain things. And also just, it's a safe place for me to just like, word vomit everything that's happening in my brain I also am very close um with my sisters and I talk to them a lot and one of my sisters in particular is a psychologist so she I really like turn to her as like one of my role models too and she helps me a lot when there's like a lot of things on my brain that I need to process so I'm a obviously I'm a therapist so I believe in talking things out so they don't like live in here and just start to decay your inner yeah. system so I do a lot of that in my own life too yeah yeah I I mean I think every therapist needs a therapist I agree I don't know how people do it without to be honest so you can't li- like listen to people's problems all day and really be there and be empathic and then just go home and just live your life like without unloading but also not do, not do your own work. Like you have right. to know what it's like to do the work. It's not easy. Like therapy is sometimes so much fun. And there are some times where I just sit there and I laugh with my clients and we have like the best time. And then we're talking about the meaningful parts of life and it's like light and good. And there's time where it's like really hard work and you'd rather be anywhere else <laughs> talking about anything else with anyone else. So I think that therapists who really know what the work is like, it just, it creates a much a much more real space, you know? Right. Oh, that too. For sure. For sure. Cause if you don't know what someone's going through when they're your client, yeah. You, how could you be a good practitioner if you don't understand the discomfort? If you don't know how to get into discomfort, it's very hard to coach somebody else like in to sit in the discomfort too. Right. Yeah. So my mom's a therapist and I have friends who are very close friends who are therapists also. And it's so interesting because I see I know like as a friend, treat them just like any other friend, but mm-hmm. I do have a friend, one of my closest friends. She is probably one of the people who I do go to, like when I'm going through something, obviously not something that I've talked to a therapist about, but like my friends. So do you ever feel like with your friends, like, like, how do you, do you have to establish boundaries or do they just know what they could talk about with you or like what they should be going to the therapist? Cause you don't want to be that sounding board for everybody all the time you know you want to have regular friendships yeah so funny people ask me this all the time I've really never run into it as an issue it's possible I just have very good friends who are like boundaried and and get it but I I've never had that as like an issue if a friend comes to me or even if somebody I don't know closely 
comes to me and they just want to talk something out. I can honestly say it has never felt like a burden. Maybe because I also love the work, but I'm also a very boundary person. So if it ever became a burden, I would, you know, I would gracefully uh opt myself out of it, but it's never, it's never come up with friends. Like if a friend ever comes to me, it's always because it's something that is just going on for them that I'm like so honored to be a part of. And I know that it's cheesy, but it's truly how I feel. Right. You know, like, like, like we all do who are all of us regular people who are not therapists. You you crying or they're having a crisis. Like you are like, Oh my God, of course, come to me. Like come, I'm coming over right now and I'm bringing ice cream and we're going to talk this out until we feel better. Like, right. (laughs) Do you feel like you give advice and it's different to your friends versus your clients? Like if let's say it's like the same problem, do you think the same way? You know what I mean? I will say this with my friends, I, I have to turn off my therapist like brain because I'm like, I'm not their therapist right now. Like there are some friends who will come to me with things and they'll be like, huh, pattern, like <laughs> it seems like something you're mom, like, you know what I mean? And I'm like, don't do that. You're not their therapist right now. Like, they just need you to be there for them. So I will sometimes like have to turn that part of myself off unless they ask me very formally for that advice or for that perspective but generally speaking it's yeah it's not like that right no that makes sense like if it's an anxiety okay this is a fear we need to face this is why it's anxiety is getting in the way then yes but if it's some if a friend is like coming to me because you know this guy did this or whatever and I'm like yeah screw right right like that's I'm like yeah he's the worst you know (laughs) right right right. yeah I'm fine to be that girl but also like when you are in a therapist mode, like you're, for me, I can't speak for everyone. My brain does work a little bit differently. I had a professor describe it as like a third eye kind of thing. It's like, you're thinking about it from like every angle and you can, that doesn't have to be turned on all the time. If that makes okay. sense. That makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Do you ever have, have clients who like want to be your friends? I've had clients say to me, like in another world, we would have been good friends. And I'm like, you're absolutely correct. Like. <laughs> That's for sure happened. So yes, but again, I've I've been in the field for like a while. So it's, I can tell when we have to keep things more, you know, boundaried in that way. But there are for sure clients that I'm like, if we would have met in any other setting, like we would have been very good friends and had a lot of fun together for sure. (laughs) Do your clients ever ask you questions that you feel like are too personal? So you have to like establish boundaries? Sometimes it hasn't, doesn't happen that often. And sometimes like if somebody's asking me something that's really relevant to them, like a, would you understand this if I shared this with you, then I'll be more open to answering it. If I think it will help them know that like, yes, I've, I, I fully understand. Like I can understand where you're coming from. Um, But it doesn't happen that often that people kind of break that that boundary with me yes you're very good at establishing boundaries I think I'm like a very boundary <laughs> I don't know about my personal life but I mean, as a therapist I'm a, I try to be a boundary therapist and people have like different different ways of doing it but like I'll throw in the self-disclosure only if it's very much like a necessary part of therapy otherwise I tend to keep it pretty yeah pretty much about them yeah no it's interesting hearing different people's perspectives I've spoken with a lot of therapists and they all yeah. have like on the podcast and my personal life, friends, whatever. And everyone has their own take on it, you know? Yeah. 
What are some, what are some other ones that you've heard? So someone told me that kind of similar to you, but she'll kind of make that decision in her, in her mind. So like, let's say they ask her a question about, about her, you know, her, her own personal life. She'll think about whether it's going to help them. And then she'll answer based on that. Right. Um, I do have one friend who told me that there's this, like one, she had a client who was like super unboundaried. So she, she had to just pretty much say like, like keep turning the question, like turning it over yeah. to them. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I've heard different things that then I heard um, one of my friends has a therapist or had a therapist who would not answer anything. Like it would always be like, why do you want to know that? Like, like what, how's that? Going? Right. And that's like, so robotic. Like you're right. Yeah. 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 For sure. I had a therapist, a different, a different therapist of mine. And I really genuinely like wanted to know things about her. And I think as a therapist, I just like really wanted to know. And like every time she would tell me, it felt so good. Like I felt so honored that she shared part of her life with me. And it was just like a very like satisfying feeling. And it really helped me trust her more because I'm like, okay, like I know this about you. I know that. Like I felt like, she, I felt like it was actually really helpful for me to know more about her. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah for sure. What's the process of establishing trust with the client? That's a such a good question. I mean, I I think for everybody, it's a little bit different. Some people don't walk in with like massive breaches of trust in their history. So it's easier for them to like meet somebody else who seems genuinely safe to like go ahead and trust them. But a lot of people are walking in with really, really, really big trust and vulnerability wounds. And as a therapist, it's actually one of the first things like I look out for. Because if you don't have like a, a trusting therapeutic alliance, it's really hard to do good work because your your client's not going to want to open up to you. And if you don't see the whole story and your client doesn't feel like they can be vulnerable, you don't, you don't really have a great foundation to work with. So I do a lot of, first of all, like reflecting and mirroring and not assuming anything and saying, this is what I'm hearing. Is this what you're trying to share with me? And then when somebody feels understood, like that very much helps with trust. They're like, yes, that's exactly right. So I do like a lot of those check-ins. Um, and I think it really just like takes time and for a patient to feel like they're not being like overly pushed, but that their therapist is consistently there for them in the right ways and in the helpful ways and in reflecting ways. And I think that that's really ultimately what does it. I have a couple of patients that I'm like thinking about where the trust is like still happening and I've been seeing them for a while and like still things come up and they still say, well, I don't, I don't think I could tell that to you, or I'm not ready to like call you between sessions. Cause I don't feel like you really mean it when you say that I can and things like that. And it's like, that's part of the trusting relationship too. And we never stop addressing it. So it definitely continues to get like weaved into the work. Wow. Yeah. It's really special what you have, like the abilities that you have to help people trust again and live their lives if anything like even if you don't do any like concrete goals of therapy blah blah blah. and I'm a behavioral therapist so I love goals and I love making real change in the world but even if somebody comes to therapy and they have a reparative experience with another human being that's just like I see you you're accepted here you can say and be whoever you want to be and I'm not going to go anywhere like for somebody to come in and feel that way and to feel seen with a person that they respect and like want to be in a relationship with, 
I think that's every, I think that's probably the most important part of the work that we ever do. Right. Because it's the foundation for, for all of our relationships. Trust is the foundation for all of our relationships. And the quality of our relationships determines the quality of our life. So, right. yeah. Wow. This is beautiful. Okay. So it's funny because I think, I mean, it could be I'm wrong. So Lisa, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like anxiety and depression, I guess, are one of the most common mental health struggles out there. People who don't even have clinical anxiety or clinical depression still very often do struggle with, and we'll say anxiety in this case for the purpose of our discussion, but could you give some ideas and talk a little bit about um, how to work on anxiety in our day-to-day relationships? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. And the statistics are wild. I think it's at this point, one in every four U.S. adult has struggled with some sort of clinical diagnostic criteria of, of anxiety or depression. Wow. So it's like the most prevalent. This is what I always say. If you're not struggling with it or haven't yet struggled with it, either your mom, your best friend, or one of your sisters has, which is like wild to think about because not everybody talks about it. But yeah, anxiety and depression are so prevalent and they cannot be completely eradicated because fear and sadness are human emotions. So they're part of our story. When we don't know how to deal with them or when we feel like we have to keep them you know, locked inside, that's when they become clinical and that's when they become challenges you know, to really deal with. So in terms of how to deal with them in our relationships, I think anxiety comes up in, in relationships a ton whether it's with dating or like fears around dating, fears around getting married, fears around making decisions about dating, even in our friendships and our family dynamics, like it's huge. I think anxiety is everywhere, whether or not we realize it. And I don't think the question is like, how do we get rid of it? I think the question is, how do we navigate it more skillfully? Um, And I, well, obviously like having a mentor or having a therapist, having somebody that you can speak things out with is very important but even just like in dating like fear can very much stop people from having beautiful healthy relationships you know there's tons of anxious you know attachment that's like running rampant there's tons of avoiding avoidant attachment which is like a different kind of anxiety it's like the other kind like stay away don't come close um and these are these are huge parts of people's dating lives and relationship lives. And I think if we don't talk about anxiety in dating and anxiety in relationships, a lot of us will end up in relationships that aren't healthy or will end up in no relationships at all. So it's very important to understand like if anxiety is playing a role like within your dating or relationship life. Yeah. Okay, so we know that most people do suffer with some some form of anxiety. So how can we navigate that? And then could you just give some tangible ideas on and ways to to navigate it on an everyday basis? Sure. Okay. So the first thing I tell everybody, which seems so simple, but I promise you it's life changing, is when you start labeling your anxiety, what happens is you stop like over identifying with it. And so instead of like waking up and being like, I'm anxious today, right? you wake up and you're like, hi, I'm Elise and I'm noticing that anxiety is here today. So it's like a part of you. It's not all of you. And so labeling your anxiety without over-identifying with it is one of the best things you can do. And research actually shows that it takes away like a really large percentage 
of its like feeling of control over you. So it takes away a lot of the intensity. So labeling and just saying like, oh, anxiety is here. And when you start to label it and just notice where it crops up in your life, like, oh, okay. Yeah. I figured you'd be here. You usually are whenever I make a big decision. Right. And then it's just like a regular part of life. The same way sometimes it rains and it's annoying. Sometimes you have anxiety and it's annoying and it's just like there. So I do a lot of work with like mindfully noticing and labeling the feeling. Um, I do a lot of my own like experimenting with like taking little risks and doing things differently and just really getting into the habit of acting opposite to my anxiety and acting opposite to like any sort of like rules or rigidity or looking for control or looking for perfectionism. Like I practice being imperfect all the time so that I don't feel bound to this idea that I have to do everything right, which is really cool. And then you get very used to it. And then it's easier to take risks when they come up that are actually meaningful. And okay, so we talked about labeling, we talked about acting opposite to your anxiety, and just beating fear all the time in any way that you can. And I think it's also really important to like listen to your body and to be very gentle with your self-talk. And if your body is saying something like, I'm overwhelmed, or I need a minute, or I need a rest, or I need a break, to like honor it instead of always trying to circumvent the system and like getting yourself and your body on the same page instead of working against each other, if that makes sense. You get so much more strength when you are at peace with your inner world. You have so many more reserves to pull from when you need to do hard things. If you're busy fighting yourself all day long and saying not nice things in your own head, you've got no energy left to do the real stuff. So I think really paying attention to your conversations with yourself and your relationship with yourself is probably the other most important way to, to have a strong handle on anxiety when it comes up. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting that you mentioned that and also about, um, about labeling things because, and, and also you said you, you mentioned labeling it, but not as, as who you are, just as yeah. something that you're struggling with. So right. it's interesting because I, I think that, I mean, obviously this is what you're saying. It sounds like that when you come to terms with, with what you're struggling with, it's so much easier to navigate it. You know, it's like when you just accept. Yes. Exactly. About- yeah. I was talking about this with somebody this morning, my favorite math equation. She's like, I've never heard anybody say that, Elisa. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the equation goes like this. Pain plus acceptance equals pain. Have you heard this? No. no. Pain plus non-acceptance equals suffering. Oh, okay. So when you accept whatever pain it is, whether it's anxiety or sadness or depression, right? And you're just like, oh, okay, you're here. It's uncomfortable, but you're here. Then it turns into pain that all of us experience in everyday life because that's the way the world works and it's manageable and it will pass. When we don't accept it and we fight it and we fight against ourselves for having it, it turns into this like very dark, overwhelming cloud that stays forever. And that is, that is suffering. So the suffering part becomes optional when we can really like work the acceptance muscles. And then it's just like, oh, okay, pain is here. And that's just like the part of life that ebbs and flows. Yes. Love that. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, it really is. It's great. Um, and you know, some people might be very blessed that they feel no anxiety in their life. Good for them. 
yeah. how, <laughs> what's a good way to help them understand what their friends and family are going through? I don't think anybody is immune to struggle in life. It's just a matter of being able to, like empathy is really just a matter of being able to say, my pain understands your pain. So my experience of pain, whether it's the same or very different from yours, on some sort of like very deep cellular level understands what it's like to be in pain. So I can understand that right now you're in pain. And even though mine is very different from yours, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter because I know how uncomfortable mine is and that must be how uncomfortable you are. And so I'm there for you in that experience. Yeah, that's beautiful. I just think that people who don't struggle with anxiety, like it's not that many people. Like right. it's at least some people, but it's not that many people. But those people, I mean, happen to me. Like I know some of those people and they are just like, yeah, no, it's all going to work out. And we'll deal with it like tomorrow or in a month. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? How does that even work in your brain? <laughs> but there are people like that. And it's an amazing thing to see, but they have their own stuff and their own struggles. Right. Yeah, for sure. Okay, if you had one message to give over to the next generation of women, what would that message be? Well, what a good question. I think it's been the theme of what we've been saying through this whole conversation. There will be times where you can't beat fear, but do not sell yourself short and just do it scared. And do it scared over and over and over again because the world only gets bigger when we let ourselves take abundant risks and we just you know, dive into the abyss and we're like, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know. But I think as women, we have a lot of strength that we don't even realize. And especially in the next generation, I think not to be cliche, but a huge part of the future is female. And there's so much more that we have to give to this world. And we cannot, we cannot sell ourselves short in any part of it. So when your emotions get in the way and they try to stop you, gently allow them to come along for the ride. But do not stop. Yes, that's great. Okay, Aliza, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and follow along your journey? Love that. Um, first of all, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I love like hearing from people. If people have questions or thoughts or any feedback, I'm all ears. So my Instagram is therapist in NYC. My website is www.therapyinthecity.org. And my email is lcsw at gmail.com. So would love for people to reach out. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is so wonderful. An amazing conversation, Nahami. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. That's all for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Carmela Cosmetics. That's Carmela with a K. And on our website, CarmelaCosmetics.com. If there's a woman in your life whose story needs to be heard, send me a message to let me know who she is and why she means so much to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts. We want you to feel heard. 